Hey everyone, welcome back to Generation Invincible, a podcast on public health, healthcare policy, and social justice issues by a millennial for millennials, and anyone else that cares about the health and social problems facing our nation. I'm your host, Abigail Miller. No hesitation today, I'm jumping right in. On March 16, 2016, Judge Merrick B. Garland was nominated by President Barack Obama to replace Justice Antonin Scalia as an Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. Based on Justice Scalia's record, RIP, many people were excited to have a new face, especially one a little more moderate compared to Scalia, on the court. When Judge Garland's name was first brought up and circulated as the possible next addition to the Supreme Court in 2010, he received bipartisan support. With his moderate stance, he's seen as a consensus builder who could potentially unify a pretty fractured court. According to New York Magazine, quote, Since he ascended to the bench, Garland has won many fans, Republicans among them, with his careful opinions and lack of overt ideological bias. Garland counts Roberts, with whom he clerked as a young man, as a friend. Ed Whelan, a former Bush Justice Department official, calls him the best nominee that Republicans could hope for. Right-wing judicial activist Kurt Levy adds, You'll have, if not a love fest, something close to it if the choice is Garland. And today, after completing this exhaustive process, I've made my decision. I've selected a nominee who is widely recognized not only as one of America's sharpest legal minds, but someone who brings to his work a spirit of decency, modesty, integrity, even-handedness, and excellence. These qualities and his long commitment to public service have earned him the respect and admiration of leaders from both sides of the aisle. He will ultimately bring that same character to bear on the Supreme Court an institution in which he is uniquely prepared to serve immediately. Today I am nominating Chief Judge Merrick Brian Garland to join the Supreme Court. You should continue to watch the video of the nomination speech with Obama. When Trevor Noah of The Daily Show said Garland was totes adorbs, I sort of rolled my eyes. But then adorable Garland choked up when accepting his nomination, saying this was the greatest honor of his life, other than when his wife agreed to marry him. I mean, come on. Don't y'all want a judge who has a soul? Honestly, that makes him relatable AF, in addition to all of his other qualifications that actually make him a great choice for the Supreme Court. However, when Justice Scalia passed on February 13th, within hours of the announcement in the news, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said that the Senate needed to wait until the next president's nomination in 2017 and that it should not consider any U.S. Supreme Court nominee, aka, as it has done for quite some time now, not do its job. Until this point, the longest it has ever taken for a Supreme Court nominee to reach a confirmation vote was 125 days. Since 1975, the average time from nomination to confirmation was 67 days. You may think that the Senate is sort of in the right because they want the person who the public most recently chose to pick the next nominee. However, six justices have been confirmed in a presidential election year since 1990, 
When this podcast will be posted, Judge Garland will have been waiting for 194 days since his nomination. And there's not much indication that this vote will be brought anytime soon, if at all. And yes, this is them not doing their job. It's 100% the president's responsibility to choose a replacement nominee to the Supreme Court. According to Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution, the advice and consent of the Senate is required for that nomination to become a real appointment. It doesn't necessarily say that the Senate is required to hold a vote on the president's nominees, but the interpretation of the Constitution that the Senate needs to, as it always has, provide hearings on nominees has been used for years and years. Nominees have been blocked in this way before, as the Democrats blocked George W. Bush's nomination of Miguel Estrada to the D.C. Circuit for over two years, until he decided to withdraw. But they had concerns about Estrada's judicial philosophy. They believed that the federal appeals courts were being unfairly stacked with conservative ideologies. On the other hand, as I have already established, Judge Garland has received widespread support from both Republicans and Democrats alike, which to me makes it clear that this stance against the nomination is not grounded in doubt of Garland himself, but rather a political vendetta against President Obama that will last until he leaves office next year. So at this point, you may be wondering how this is a social justice issue. Hold your horses, you impatient people. I'm getting there. Okay, so why is this an issue for everybody? How does this one guy's nomination to the Supreme Court actually pose an issue when there are already eight other judges that are there? Well, as it turns out, the one person actually makes a huge difference. Too many cases. Too many cases have resulted in a deadlocked 4-4 to decision or declined to make a ruling, further delaying a real decision. When a split rule happens, the court basically ends up supporting whatever the lower court's decision was. And then, no precedent is sent. You know, the precedents from previous court cases that are used pretty much every day by lawyers and judges when making court arguments and decisions. For example, in Island Tree School District v. Pico, Justice Brennan cited two previous court cases to rule that, quote, local school boards may not remove books from school library shelves simply because they dislike the ideas contained in these books and seek by their removal to prescribe what shall be orthodox in politics, nationalism, religion, and other matters of opinion. While books in a school may seem like a minor example, the court ruled that the defendant was violating the First Amendment's guarantee of freedom of speech. Violating an amendment to the Constitution? Maybe not so minor. But let's get back to the present. Let's talk about the court cases and the people that has suffered as a result of the lack of a ninth Supreme Court member. How about United States versus Texas and the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Initiative? On June 15th of 2012, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security announced its initiative called Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Under DACA, unauthorized immigrants who came to the country before age 16 were under age 31 at the time of the announcement and had been in the country for five years when the initiative was announced 
were eligible to apply for a two-year reprieve from deportation and a work permit. In November of 2014, President Obama announced his Immigration Accountability Executive Action, which expanded DACA and created a new program called Deferred Action for Parents of Americans and Lawful Permanent Residents. This basically puts off deportation, also known as deferred action, for parents of lawful citizens who have not committed certain crimes and pass a background check, among other things. Then, they're able to apply for work authorization as unauthorized parents of U.S. citizens or lawful permanent residents. However, in United States versus Texas, 26 states sued the federal government because of these executive actions by Obama's administration to improve immigration enforcement. The U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is known to be one of the most conservative courts, blocked the programs from going into effect until the case is resolved. When the eight-person Supreme Court became deadlocked at 4-4, to the Fifth Circuit's decision blocked the expansion by default. And as a result, an estimated 4 million immigrants will remain vulnerable to deportation, and more than 6 million citizens will continue to live in fear for their loved ones. On top of that, the Supreme Court's lack of a ruling is costing the U.S. economy $29.9 million in gross domestic product each day the programs remain on hold, as these previously eligible immigrants are unable to work legally, earn higher wages, and make even greater contributions to the U.S. economy. If millions of dollars saved is not enough to convince you, let me give you another case. How about the sovereignty of tribal courts when prosecuting a child molester? In Dollar General Corporation versus Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians, a 13-year-old tribal member claimed he was sexually assaulted by a non-member employee when they both worked for Dollar General. The boy's family sued Dollar General in tribal court, but the company argued that the tribal court did not have the authority to make this ruling since the company is not part of the tribe. The Fifth Circuit ruled that the suit should go through in tribal court, but it then took the Supreme Court six and a half months to announce a deadlock. While the tribal court ruling stood, it did not answer the question of tribal sovereignty and tribal court authority. This split ruling has unknown negative ramifications on the ability of tribal members to seek justice in their own courts. The bottom line is that an uneven number of members on the Supreme Court is essential to preventing this deadlock between opposing ideologies. The Senate's refusal to participate and give advice and consent in judicial nominees has had a huge impact in the last six months, not to mention the 97 total judicial vacancies and 59 pending nominees that the Senate refuses to address. Judge Merrick Garland is unquestionably qualified to take Justice Scalia's seat on the Supreme Court. Currently, he is the chief judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit and has been since 1997 when he was confirmed. He's clerked for Justice William Brennan, worked as a federal prosecutor, served as Deputy Assistant Attorney General and Principal Associate Deputy Attorney General in the Justice Department's Criminal Division, where he supervised the investigation of the Oklahoma City bomber and Unabomber Ted Kaczynski. After that, he continued moving up the chain until his appointment to the circuit court. 
According to the American Civil Liberties Union's report on his nomination, he doesn't favor broad legal pronouncements and doesn't take advantage of his opinions to develop theories of constitutional interpretation. He has been shown to give the prosecution the benefit of the doubt when the cases seem close, consistently defers to administrative agencies and subject matter experts, has exhibited a strong belief in freedom of speech and freedom of the press, more often than not, has sided with civil rights plaintiffs in cases regarding discrimination, and has emphasized the importance of transparency and accountability in cases regarding the Freedom of Information Act. When he was confirmed for this position, he received a vote of 76 to 23, with 32 Republican senators voting for confirmation. Some of these senators are still in the Senate today. Just a few examples are Senator Orrin Hatch, Senator Lindsey Graham, and Senator John McCain. And there are pages of quotes that show his widespread support, particularly among Republicans, up until he was actually nominated. And by the way, the significance of Republican versus Democrat in this scenario is that Garland is seen as very moderate, liked by Republicans, was considered least likely to engender significant Republican opposition by the Huffington Post in 2010, and, to wrap it all up, was nominated by a Democrat president. Literally, there has been support across the board. Newsweek has said that Garland would probably get a majority Senate vote and that his strength is bridging the divide between liberals and conservatives. Someone who can bring together conflicting ideologies would be the ideal addition to a consistently split Supreme Court, don't you think? To submit feedback about Generation Invincible, ask questions, make suggestions for future episodes, or if you just want someone to listen to what you have to say, email generationinvincible at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, and of course, share with your friends. Find Generation Invincible online on Tumblr. And until next time, in the words of Justice Sonia Sotomayor, I can and do aspire to be greater than the sum total of my experiences, but I accept my limitations. I willingly accept that we who judge must not deny the differences resulting from experience and heritage, but attempt, as the Supreme Court suggests, continuously to judge when those opinions, sympathies, and prejudices are appropriate.